found that there's a lot of people that really don't necessarily need a diagnosis. They don't necessarily want to or need to go into their childhood to work on whatever it is that they're going through. Sure, it's always beneficial, but sometimes, most of the time, I find that most people are struggling with a life change. They're struggling with um, just something that they're needing to adjust to, and they just need to talk to somebody through it. And having five sessions, maybe 10 sessions max, where they just have somebody come alongside them, assess what's going on, and um, really empower them to take those next steps that they need to take, and they just needed the nudge. That's where coaching comes in. In my mind, I, I saw it as like marriage is the most powerful team on the planet. If you actually work on the thing that you're already talented at, meaning it comes really natural to you, like nobody has to teach Michael Phelps how to be competitive. Like he just has it. Confidence is being able to say, I know what I'm good at. I love what I'm good at and I want to do it more. Like that's confidence and that's healthy. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain, and I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Hey, y'all. We have the privilege of having our dear colleague, Corey Weathers, with us on the podcast today, and um, we're so excited that she's joined us. Um, She is going to share some thoughts on some brilliant work that she does, including coaching and working with military families and first responders. And um, before we dive in, I'm going to read a brief snippet of her brilliant um, bio. She's got so much more than I'll be able to cover um, in what she does. Um, But Corey is a licensed professional counselor. She is a sought-after speaker. Um, She is the author of the award-winning book, Sacred Spaces, My Journey to the Heart of Military Marriage. Uh, She's focused her career the last 20 years as a clinician specializing in marriage, uh, military and first responders, kind of service culture and the impact on family. Uh, She's also a brilliant coach. Uh, She offers strengths coaching using the Gallup Strengths Finder and helps folks just really journey through to find their strengths and talents and really powerful ways to aid in their work, whether it be in marriage, parenting, their careers, um, just to find a fulfilled um, life and live on purpose. And so, Corey, thank you so much for joining us on Arable today. We are just, we're giddy to have you here um, and share with our listeners about your brilliant work and um, just colleague to colleague, love any moment where we get to chat and, and talk. Um, so curious, just kind of, if, if you could, in your own words, just tell, um, our listeners a little bit about what you do and then even kind of what drew you into the work. You do so many incredible things, but, um, just a little bit about yourself in your own words, um, and kind of what drew you to the work that you do. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here, ladies. I'm, I'm super excited to spend some time with you. And, and like you said, it's always fun to have conversations with colleagues who have the same um, passion and mission. Um, it's just kind of a different kind of conversation. We'll nerd out, I think, a little bit here. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I'm just, I'm honored to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah. So I always knew I wanted to go into counseling and going into the helping profession. I started off investigating child abuse, you know, while going through master's degree. Um, out of my master's degree, I was, you know, already married and um, worked with women out of prison 
for about four years and really thought that I was going to really focus more on trauma work with women, which I still have a heart for. Those four mm-hmm. years um, working with those women were some of the best years, most challenging years of my life, but wonderful. Um, and, you know, one day my husband came home. He had met a Green Beret in the gym. Um, and he said, I, I want to join the military. And I was like, you're crazy. No, this was not on our, um, this is not on the plan. <laughs> I, I like plans and that was not on the plan. Um, and, uh, my, I knew that my father-in-law, his dad was a police officer, um, a retired police officer by the time that I, um, married my husband, Matt. And his grandfather was also a retired police officer and detective. And so service was just in his family line. Um, mm-hmm. By then, I knew he didn't want to become a first responder, but he really had, um, we both did, but he especially lived that life of what it's like to live in a service home and see the impact of what service families see on a daily basis and what they bring home with them and the challenges. He he shares openly that he um, grew up hearing his dad have nightmares and um, and talking mm-hmm. about some of the things that he would see during the day. And so my husband, I knew for sure had a heart for who stands in the gap, like who stands in, in for those families who um, really face evil every day and face Mm -hmm. the worst of what humanity can do to each other every day and who helps those people. And so um, I said no at first to, to military life. Um, And, and the short story is, I mean, he, he wanted to become a chaplain so that you know, we could do that for military as well. Um, but the short story is within a year and a half, um, we just knew like 100%. We kind of said together as a team, if we're going to do this, we're going to be all in. At first we thought we were going to mm-hmm. do reserves. And we just said, if we're going to do it, we've got to be 100% in. And so we we went in active duty. I say we, he did. He went in active duty. I followed, right, obviously. Um, and you know, I just had to pivot my career. By then, I was already kind of starting my own practice um, locally. And so having to pivot my career as a military spouse, you know, kind of is what I've had to do for the past 15 years is keep pivoting, keep relocating, keep figuring out how do I have a career that still invests in this population, but do it creatively. Mm -hmm. And so over the years, I've just had to um, figure out how to have multiple licenses for a while um, and have to keep, you know, I was doing telehealth and having a portable clinical practice before telehealth and COVID even made it a thing. And yeah. so I really had to look for those loopholes and be creative and figure out how to do that ethically. And so now um, I serve only military and first responder families. I've been doing it for about 15 years and have added that coaching side of things, the strength based, and we can get into that if you want to. But Really, a lot of our service families really appreciate that kind of work, mm-hmm. and that's really why I've leaned a little bit heavily towards the strength-focused, the solution-focused work to really uh, meet the needs of the culture and what really works for them. So it's the honor of my lifetime to serve these amazing families. Um, it is um, it is difficult work, but it is definitely fulfilling. So, um, so we are now stationed here at Fort Hood, Texas, and hope to stay here long enough to launch our two kids but the military is in charge of that, not me. I'm still wrestling with that after 15 years, but it's true. So yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit of what I'm doing now. Yeah. That's such a wild story to hear you, to, to hear you tell it, Corey. Um, and I knew, I knew some of that, but I did not know all of that. And I'm, I'm just thinking back as a licensed mental health professional at my own journey. And I've had the 
privilege, I'm going to say at this point, to stay in one place. Because I remember um, as I was uh, just closing in on graduation going, this is a big deal to get licensed. And I hadn't even done like the internship and the the exam and all those things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these people who move, I can't imagine. And this has literally been a regular part of your professional life. Like I just feel exhaustion wash over me thinking about it. So I have so offer you validation and affirmation in this moment. My goodness, that is insane. It's absolutely insane. No, it is It is exhausting. And I say that because it's like the number one issue for military spouses today, especially active duty, is trying to have a career. You know, staying in one place is, it's one thing to stay in one place and develop credibility and feel like you can prove kind of your credibility in a job. And then you want to climb that ladder and get promoted. And then to have to move and start all over, meet new people, meet new bosses, and kind of prove your credibility again. Um, It's it's one of the top issues we have in the military spouse culture. I think um, it's definitely 80% of our military spouses say it's their number one issue. Um, But I would say we still have an unemployment rate of like 40% within the military spouse community Mm -hmm. because... You can imagine, especially those professionals that deal with certifications, licensure, our lawyers, our nurses, um, you know, it is it is not easy to climb that ladder. And so a lot of us, thankfully, in this amazing culture where there's telehealth and there's the internet and there's, you know, so many creative ways to become your own entrepreneur, it's really been fantastic to see our culture um, start their own businesses, pave their own way, make it, make a way, right? So mm-hmm. last year during covid um, I actually saw my business thrive because number one, everybody needed more counseling, right? But to have the ability to have four licenses where I could work in four different states virtually from my office, yep. right? Um, and be and to be set up for that level of credibility, it really shows the strength of our military spouses, um, mm-hmm. their creativity and their endurance, and the word that I like to use for our culture, which is just pure grit, like the ability to press through. Um, even when it's hard, I think that is hands down my favorite thing about this culture is that they are the grittiest, most real people you could ever do life with. And, um, and I don't know if I'll ever, I, we say, you know, we don't ever want to leave the bubble and then we, um, all have to become a veteran family at some point. But, um, but yeah, it is, it is a definite struggle. Um, but there's also ways to do it. And so, um, you know what, you just, I think like anything in life, we all have something that we have to face an obstacle, figure out how to get Mm -hmm. through it and grow from it. And whether you relocate a lot or you don't, we're all going to have those obstacles that we have the choice to either dig deep and figure out how to press through or Mm -hmm. abandon it all and then wonder why we don't have a sense of purpose. And so, um, so yeah, so I think we all kind of have our own, on own levels of struggle, I guess. Yeah. I remember pre-pandemic, and I am thankful for what we are being, I don't know, pressed to do. I know some people have called the pandemic the great accelerator. Um, I think it can be very much so a catalyst. I think some of this has been permanent change. Um, I'm thankful that we were forced to learn how to go online and do things. You were doing it before we were all forced to do it. Um, and, And there were some others too. But I remember... Uh, years before this last 18 months, um, there were certain populations that we were having a hard time trying to ethically serve. And it, one of them was the military. Another one was missionaries. Mm-hmm. 
um, Doctors Without Borders. You know, we talk about some of these like international traveling types persons and their families um, and how to serve them from a mental health. And we're going, okay, can we do that? Can we not do that? What's, what's the, you know, what are the ethics here? And I remember we, we had to consult a lot um, trying to figure out how to, how to serve these people because we were getting calls um, from some of those groups and, um, and my heart was breaking. I was like, okay, ethics are here to protect the people. Like that's what they're, that's what it's there for. It protects the population from those who have power and have a license. And I'm like, like, this is hurting the people. Like these folks need this support and service, um, just as much, if not more, uh, than the general population. So I'm, I am glad you are pioneering figuring this out because uh, I think it's really important. Yeah. You know, I, um, I feel the same way, especially during the pandemic, you know, when I have somebody calling from Illinois that has the same problem as somebody in Texas, right. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you help me? I mean, it's, it's really hard as a human being to say, no, I'm not allowed. I'm capable. Yeah. I'm able to, yeah. I may even have the time to, but I'm not allowed. Like, um, that's where I was really struggling in the clinical side of things. Um, and, and coaching, you know, there's, there's a whole, we've had conversations, the three of us, right, about coaching. And, um, and the truth of it is for, for me, I have found that over the years, um, you know, there are those that need your, you know, your mild to, um, or your moderate to severe um, issues where you really need that face-to-face care, where you're really diving into, where diagnosing does help, right? Having a diagnosis mm-hmm. helps you, helps open doors to get, um, better quality care and medication and, and mm-hmm. ongoing consistent care, there's still great, wonderful room for clinical counseling mm-hmm. um, for those face-to-face opportunities. But I, I found that there's a lot of people that really don't necessarily need a diagnosis. They don't necessarily want to or need to go into their childhood to work on whatever it is that they're going through. Sure, it's always beneficial, but sometimes, most of the time, I find that most people are struggling with a life change they're struggling with um, just something that they're needing to adjust to, and they just need to talk to somebody through it. And having five sessions, maybe 10 sessions max, where they just have somebody come alongside them, assess what's going on, and um, really empower them to take those next steps that they need to take. And they just needed the nudge. That's where coaching mm-hmm. comes in. And being able to say, hey, I'm just walking alongside you, um, encouraging you to do what you have the capability of doing on your own. And that's where I found a lot of people are, even during COVID, like they just needed somebody to say, you're going to make it another day. It's going to be okay. We're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to take advantage of the things that we can do. You're going to go do those things. And then I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks and encourage you again. Right. And that's what I find most people needed. And that's where coaching came in to be able to do that quick solution focused, supportive work um, without those boundaries and limits. Yeah, and I don't know, Kimberly, you'll have to share, and I'd love to hear from you too, Corey. It wasn't presented as an option on the table. Like, I wasn't even exposed to the differences early on. And so, like, I'm with you. I think that I can help a lot of people with coaching and counseling and deep clinical, deep healing work is not necessarily the thing needed in every situation, but I wasn't really given permission to explore that or encouraged mm-hmm. to consider that, um, in my, my base training. And we could, we could probably go to some pretty spicy places as to why. Um, but 
Uh, I'm really thankful for the, that insight. And uh, you alluded to this. We've had side conversations, which is why, you know, we were like, we've got to get her on, on the podcast because we were, we were exploring having this cross-disciplinary um, practice where we, we do offer both and, um, and can serve, I would say, serve more people because of it. So I'm, I'm in complete agreement there. Well, and Kimberly, I don't want to step over um, over you, but I had I have this very it's a crude metaphor in my in my mind. So please, well, crude not meaning inappropriate, just probably ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but it's it's like, well, for the longest time, coaching seemed like it was less than right, like it wasn't mm-hmm. as um, credible or it wasn't as significant or it wasn't a, mm-hmm. um, the person that you're going to isn't as skilled as as if you were to go to a clinician or counselor. But it's like if you were to go to a salon and somebody can do like balayage highlights and like um, do amazing wedding updos and then you go to them and and they're not able to trim your bangs. Do you know what I mean? Like there's so (laughs) many levels of care that we can provide. (laughs) And those bangs are a real big deal though, Corey. Let's be honest. They really are. If that goes sideways, it's not going to go well. But But if you come into me and I've been highlighting your hair for years and it takes me three hours to do it, and then you come in and you just need a 10 minute trim on your bangs, you know, quick solution focus, like, and you feel better about yourself and that is all you needed, right? It's not, doesn't mean that I'm minimizing the issues that would come in for coaching. What we're really talking about here is is the um, that those that are clinicians that are offering that coaching are highly skilled and capable mm-hmm. and able to provide wonderful care um, to get you where you need based off. And it's like a menu of options, right? It's this is what I can provide based off of what it is that you are coming in for. That's all. Yep. So yep. I'm thrilled that we are, um, this generation, we're paving um, a new way ahead of what it means to get mental health care um, and to support human beings wherever they are. Yeah. Now you do coaching. Um, I want, I want our audience to get to know you one, because you do serve so many people. Um, but also I want people to have this, a better concept map. So, uh, individuals, couples, families, like, do you do coaching around all of those different groups? Tell us a little bit more about how you serve in the coaching dynamic. Cause I yeah. think it's a new concept for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I actually transitioned out of counseling last year. Um, I just knew my own personal strengths are that of like a teacher. Um, I really am that encourager. Um, Over the 15 years of doing clinical work, I just found my sweet spot in that. And so um, I really enjoyed inspiring and motivating, um, especially those high performers that want to change, that want to make, um, they're just stuck and they're just trying to figure out what that next step is or they just need somebody to kind of tell them, like, what's the mm-hmm. issue? And so for a lot of our military um, and first responder families, they tend to live in a world that's very solution focused. They live in a world that's like, mm-hmm. what's the problem? How? What's the mission? And how do we do it? And how do we get started? And when do we get started? Like, that's mm-hmm. what they're in all the time. Um, military spouses are kind of holding down the home front. They're like the CEOs of their home. They're managing everything. And so what I was hearing from a lot of them was, I don't have, I don't have time for 10 sessions, you know, with a therapist to get to know you. Like, I don't have time to have 10 sessions to educate them on what the military lifestyle is. Like, I just mm-hmm. need somebody to tell me what the issue is, tell me what I need to do next, and then I'll go and do it. And then I'll come back and you can tell me if I'm doing a good job and what I need to tweak and change. And so um, I found that when I 
um, when I applied a strengths-based approach, and so let me say what that means because mm-hmm. a lot of people may not know, I had the honor of being able to go through the Gallup Strength Finder and be um, trained up as a, um, at the time, it was as an advisor who could train up other Gallup coaches. Um, now their system has changed a little bit, but kind of getting in on the front end. And at the time I was trained because Gallup and the military was looking at um, how could we apply this to marriage retreats or how could we apply this to the whole force. And so when they came to me at the end of that retreat and said, what do you want to do with um, Gallup Strength Finder Assessment? I said, I want to change marriages. Like I know, like Mm. y'all can take it to the military. Y'all can like see how that works with team-based stuff because originally the assessment was created and still is wonderful for individuals to do to really take off in their career and become more productive and work better in teams um, in a business setting. Um, in my mind, I, I saw it as like marriage is the most powerful team on the planet, right? Like you could go mm-hmm. pick up garbage as a job every day. And if you come home to a peaceful household where you're getting along with your family and your marriage is in a peaceful place, you can do anything out there, right? You mm-hmm. can be content with whatever you do out there if you're coming home to a place that's a safe harbor. And so I want to see what this does to the marriage team. I want to see what the Strength Finder does to the family as a team and to a home. And so Mm -hmm. the Strength Finder looks at your talents. And so not like the way we use the word talent where we say that's talented guitar player or Michael Mm. Phelps is a talented swimmer. Gallup Mm. would say anybody can learn to swim and anybody can learn to play the guitar. They're looking at what's that inner drive? What's that thing that Michael Phelps has that he applies to swimming that makes him great? Mm -hmm. And Gallup did all the research for us because they do the Gallup poll and they're just a research think tank. They found that um, if you actually work on the thing that you're already talented at, meaning it comes really natural to, like nobody has to teach Michael Phelps how to be competitive. Like Mm -hmm. he just has it, right? Right. So if you take a Michael Phelps that's 12 years old who has a whatever kind of natural desire to want to win or a natural desire to want to get better or swim every day or apply himself every day and you put him with a coach and you put him um, and you give him the right information on how to swim differently, how to turn your hand just a little bit differently or how to kick just a little bit differently, you put all that together with that natural talent that he has and he becomes the Olympic version of himself. And so what Gallup is saying is, let's find your natural talent, and then let's let's learn to have self-control. Let's learn how to apply the right things in your life, and let's see what happens when you become the Olympic version of yourself. And mm-hmm. so when I apply that to marriages, when I apply that to especially the military population, um, first responders too, because there's a lot of similarities, um, I'm, I'm dealing with a population where the military spouse is caring about everyone else but herself, where she's mm-hmm. struggling with a lack of purpose. She's struggling with her career, like we talked about in the beginning. I'm using stereotypes here, um, calling her her. There's a lot of male spouses out there as well. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the biggest issues that we're struggling with. So when I can help um, him or her find what their t- natural talent is, that you're good at this, and if we just do a couple things and work on a couple things. You could be amazing. And then let's talk about where you apply that in your career. Mm. Her sense of self-worth skyrockets. Her confidence skyrockets. Um, her community builds. And then she's not taking that to her marriage and asking her spouse to answer all of those questions that he was never created to answer. And likewise, when you do that in the marriage as a team, you, from a very positive place, because counseling 
for a long time, most people felt like I'm going to counseling to fix my problems. And then they wonder why their problems aren't getting better. Well, it's because if we're going into counseling and we're just fixing our weaknesses, Gallup already found fixing our weaknesses really doesn't do much good. We already have this default thing that we're going to fall back into mm-hmm. because we're created with weaknesses. They found it's you're going to make you're going to make so many more strides if you focus on what you're already talented at and become better at that. So I guess to shorten that, I think for me, um, I found that when I went after coaching and especially this population from a strengths-based perspective, Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoy investing in that spouse. I enjoy investing in the couples. I do a lot of couples work to help rebalance their marriage, lift their marriage, see it from a more positive perspective. I get to also work with teenagers who are trying to figure out what their career is going to be and what their talent is, um, which is huge in a developmental phase where they're trying to figure out, like, who who says what I'm worth, you know? And the, those teenage years, they're looking all around them at their peers to define their worth. And when you can invest in them and say, your worth was already there, your talent is already there, and you get to decide what you do with that next is is mm-hmm. really empowering. So. Um, other than that, I'm usually brought in to do events where I do strength-based events or we work on kind of some of those deeper struggles that are going on in the military community. Um, and a lot of times that's virtual as well. So it's kind of across the board, any way that I can use my strengths to really lift the culture, lift those marriages in it and bolster them, then um, that's that's the best thing I know how to do with, the, I guess, the talent that's been given to me. So I don't know if I effectively snooped on you or not. But um, what are your strengths? Would you share? Oh, yeah. Well, um, show up on yours? Yeah. I mean, from a Gallup perspective, from the strengths um, perspective, well, number one, I all most of my strengths, at least my top five, because I won't get into the assessment, but um, they kind of group them into 34 themes because there's like a gazillion talents in the world, right? Yeah. So um, they rank them to one to 34. So my top five are my strongest talents, and that's where I would want to stay most of the time. And four out of my five are relational. And so, of course, that makes sense. I'm a counselor. I got into helping people. Um, But more specifically, um, I know that my strengths, and I do want to say this for those listening, um, a lot of times we're afraid to talk about what our strengths are and what our talent is because it feels like a very prideful thing to say, as if you're bragging on yourself. And I just want to point out that there's a difference between pride and confidence. Pride is saying my strengths, my talent is the best in the room and I should be the one that should, you know, take all the credit or handle all the things. That's prideful. Mm -hmm. Confidence is being able to say, I know what I'm good at. I love what I'm good at and I want to do it more. Like that's confidence and that's healthy. So I want to kind of point that out first. Um, But I would say that um, my strengths are, um, I am a deep thinker. I'm a deep um, relater, meaning when we jumped into this conversation and we just go real, real quick, I'm not mm-hmm. somebody that likes to talk about the weather. I would rather stab myself. <laughs> um, and so I, I go deep really quick. And, and because I'm so relational, I know about myself, I can be a little overwhelming to people who would rather just talk about the weather. Mm-hmm. So I have to manage that and watch it. Um, I'm also a developer. I love to shape mm. people. I love to... Um, and I'm good at that. Like I, I can work with a group, whether it's in a retreat setting or whether it's even in a virtual setting and really mold that group and those conversations like clay. And I come to life when I, when I get an opportunity to do that. I just, um, I almost see like I, 
I'm, it's almost like in my mind, I'm drawing these connections to all the stories that I'm hearing at once. And this person, you know, what this person is saying reminds me of what this person said earlier and how do I tie those together? And it's like, I'm building a spider web in my head when I'm working with a group. And, um, and by the end, I kind of have this way of kind of pulling it all together. And somehow people have the ability to walk away with something. And so my strengths really um, are on that. How do I build relationships? And a lot of times in order to build a relationship, we've got to go through the process of healing ourselves and healing those relationships in order to build them. And so that would be the short answer. And yeah. over time, I would say I've had to become a communicator. It's not naturally one of my strengths, but over time with the way that I've been asked to do certain things um, and have to stand in front of groups of people or do podcasts or whatever, um, I've really had to shape over time my mm -hmm. communication. Um, and, and that's really especially come into play lately on how do I serve the community in a virtual way. And the best way that I can do that is take that relationship building talent and um, find ways to communicate it broadly to the yeah. masses to encourage as many people as possible. Wouldn't it be great if everybody could get to that place where they could just like, pow, here is my strengths. And, I, and I'm confident of that. That's what I long for is people to live with that level of confidence and not feel bad for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And my, my words piggybacking on a felt sense of what you were sharing, I, and I do think this happens a lot in marriages not well and we have to coach to help them get there but that everybody's strengths are different and that there's beauty in that mm -hmm. and you have to figure out how to engage like our strengths being different and we could go on like a huge rabbit trail like personality differences preference differences typology all that kind of stuff um that there's beauty in the variation we don't need to be the same we can work with each other in this really beautiful teamed up way uh, when we're aware of them and we can, yes, like you say, really step into those strengths, live those out um, and see that as a beauty that we get to hold and be good stewards over rather than, I don't know, a, a, I don't know, false humility. Can we go there? Like a false humility. Of, I have to, I have to hide this to prove to you that I'm humble. Like I, I, yeah, no, I, mm -hmm. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot in certain circles. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, no, um, you know, when I'm working with couples, I, I use the, we're, we're a superhero household. Um, yeah, we yeah. both have serious <laughs> Oh, job. we are too. Are, are you? Okay. Serious, are you Marvel or DC? I have to know. Okay. If I have to pick, see, I don't like favorites. I'm just be real honest. I don't like favorite yeah. questions. So if I had to pick, it'd be Marvel. Okay. Kimberly? Uh, we love Marvel. Yeah. Probably more Marvel, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Marvel's killing it in the theater. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Right? There's just a lot of it to watch. So it might be a, it might be a exposure too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have a I lot agree. of Marvel to watch. No. And I grew up playing um, Wonder Woman as a kid. Um, I've always been a Wonder Woman fan. I've become more of a Wonder Woman fan because my husband convinced me that I cannot be a Wonder Woman fan if I don't read the comics. So he got me <laughs> in the comics. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it was after we got married that, you know, he was like, you have a superhero. I should have a superhero, you know? And so then he was like, am I a Hulk? And I'm like, you've definitely been a Hulk at times for sure. Um, but I was like, I don't think that's you. And I don't think that you need to label yourself that way, <laughs> you know, because that was our <laughs> beginning years of our marriage. He was definitely a Hulk. Let's, um, and we, we had to, we very publicly share our story about healing our own marriage through a lot of that. Um, 
You know, but over time, he really, because of, of Marvel and the amazing work that they've done with the movies, he's like, no, I'm Captain America, and I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. And so what I um, what I use often in working with couples is, like, number one, we're a split household. If Wonder Woman and Captain America can get along and use their strengths for good and not kill each other in the process, anybody can, right? Yeah. Um, if two, And that's what marriage is, right? It's two universes coming together with two very different ways of doing things. And so to your point, um, that is my favorite thing of working with couples and families is the goal is not just to find your own confidence and finding your own superpowers, as I call them, strengths, um, because we all have our own cocktail of superpowers. Um, The goal is how do I, number one, know my superpowers well enough to Um, develop them and hone them so I know how and when to use them and how and when to be a superhero because we don't need to do that all day long. But number two, superheroes are great, but they're better when they're together, right? And oftentimes marriage looks like two superheroes who are trying desperately to use all of their superpowers all at once at the same time, fighting this enemy. And at the end of the day, they end up fighting each other instead of the enemy instead of the villain, right? And it's like, okay, if we could just pause for a second and let's get to know our teammate here. Let's get to know what their powers are, get to know what your powers are. And then when you watch Avengers, yes, they might all be fighting at the same time um, at the end of the movie, right? But most Mm -hmm. of the time they're taking turns, right? And everybody is doing what they do best at different Coordinated effort. It's, mm-hmm. But it's a combined effort. Mm-hmm. And Captain America is not trying to be Black Widow, and Black Widow is not trying to be Hawkeye. They're doing what they're created to do, but they understand each other's strengths well enough that they know when to pass Thor's hammer to Captain America. Like, he knows yeah. the right timing for that, right? Like, it's your turn. It's your spotlight. It's your mission. And by the way, I'm going to lend you something of mine because you now know know me well enough that you yeah. can kind of pull off of what we do well together. So I could nerd out forever, but it's a oh, fun metaphor for sure. You're you're stirring the affections of my heart. No, I have to tell you. So uh, Kimberly and I both participate in separate leadership groups because we're uh, coaching groups because we're all about ongoing development and, and learning and growing and all that. Um, and there's a, there's a tribe member in my group that as I was um, – kind of stepping into the fullness of my, I don't know if you're an Enneagram person or not, Corey. A little bit. Um, I think I've heard on the, the Peacemaker. What is that? A two? Oh, a, a, nine? Nine? a nine? A nine. A nine? Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm a, I'm a social eight and um, we, we can be big and larger than life and intense and some other words. And so he was really sweet and um, I'm, we are big Marvel fans. And so he has nicknamed me the captain um, and said, you're like Captain Marvel. And so I, I do identify with how you tell your story. Um, cause there's, a there's actually a, a mentor of mine that at one point talked about like fairy tale psychotherapy. And then you can look at these stories and actually identify and do some thematic work there. And so I, I do identify with Captain Marvel and I love hearing y'all stories. That's sweet to me. Oh, what's super fun. And I'm going to let Kimberly talk cause I've talked over her so many times. But I do have to say, in working with military, it's it's really fun and interesting when you get into sessions and you're talking to a service member and you're like, okay, what's your who's your superhero? Like, who's your person? And the number yeah. of times I get the Punisher, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, we're gonna try to work with that today, but <laughs> <laughs> that's tricky. <laughs> 
no, I'm not giving you permission to go be the Punisher, but I get it. And why wouldn't you choose the Punisher? Like that's, I mean, especially our special ops guys, they're like hands down the Punisher. And I'm like, okay, let's, uh, okay. let's roll with that. <laughs> let's work with a strength-based reframe for the Punisher. <laughs> There's got to be something in there, right? Oh my gosh. And yet, it's perfect, right? Yeah, there's so totally. much complexity there. There's so much, like, there's so much healing that can be done there. Because, what do mm-hmm. you do with a a warrior who has such yep. good and such such moral courage, right? And yet, their calling in life is to take out those who are evil, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's um, you know, I can't be the person that says, "Oh, that one's too rough." let's choose something like Captain America, right? No, that's yeah. their life, right? Like that's, we've got to work through the complexity of, of what does that do to a soul and how do we highlight less about what you're having to do and more about who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately what the Punisher needed anyways is, yeah, there's what I do, but there's also my backstory and who I am and why, my why behind being a part of something bigger than myself. So there's so much, you're right, there's so much fun that you can do with um, bringing in some of those constructs that um, are outside of ourselves in order to help us see ourselves just a little bit better. Yeah, no, I love it. I love any time we have language, whether it's, I don't personality, Gallup, Marvel, I don't know, just to give concept and handles to hold on to, to... I don't know, better describe ourselves, better understand the person in front of us, whether that be our spouse or whoever. So I love it. That's so fun. You you started to kind of talk through it a little bit, Corey, but I'm just curious about your journey in your work with military families and then kind of where that's transitioned and what it looks like today. Like we've gotten some snippets, but just from your own personal story and what drew you into it, but then even how it's developed and changed and what it looks like now as you do this work. Um, because, you know, it, it, has, yeah. it has shifted for sure, uh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely has been quite a story. Um, you know, when we first came in, uh, we were stationed in Colorado, and um, it was our first assignment, first time living with military families, um, it's amazing how I look back and, you know, here we were, you know, a counselor and a chaplain who has a counseling background as well. And like, we're here to serve, right? And, and it was a wonderful rude awakening to realize that the community was there more to serve us than anything we could have ever done for them. Um, but um, our first assignment, our first deployment um, ended up being a historic um, deployment where we lost a lot of service members. Um, but more specifically, we went through the Battle of Cop Keating, was my husband's unit, um, where we had um, a movie just recently. Jake Tapper from CNN wrote um, a huge book, a huge story called The Outpost, talking about leading up to what happened at Cap, uh, Cop Keating. We had um, f- these 52 guys that were in what was like in the valley of mountains, the picture of like a football field with like, instead of it being a stadium, it's just mountains around them. And it was a terrible place to have any service members because our, the Taliban were really at every point in time in those mountains and could fire down into um, mm-hmm. where that um, that um, combat outpost was. And so um, 
October of that deployment, we had about 400 Taliban that came down from the mountains and went into the wire, into our um, uh, cop. And our 52 guys um, held them off in the battle of their lives. We had two Medal of Honors that came out of that battle. We lost eight amazing men. Um, and that has shaped our entire, it launched defi definitely our passion for this community because it was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, oh, here I was yeah. a brand new military spouse that I had volunteered um, before, you know, the deployment even started. I figured I would use my gifts to serve the community. And so I volunteered to be the person that would sit with any of our military spouses who lost their soldier um, in battle um, until friends and family could be there. So, you know, there I was like sitting with so many brand new gold star widows in the first hours of their grief. Um, <clears throat> also trying to support my husband who was definitely going through a lot as well. Um, I'm doing like press conferences on what's happening, you know, and I'm a brand new military yeah. spouse trying to figure that out. So that launched a lot of things for us. And it launched, um, we, at the time we thought that was normal and it wasn't until we moved on from there that we realized that is not exactly what happens in every deployment. Um, yeah. but that shaped, um, our understanding of trauma. It understand, it shaped our understanding of the community and the power of it coming together and how we could best serve. And so since then, um, we've served in a variety of different ways. Over the years, I would say um, I've evolved at different times based off of what the community needed, needed. And so we did marriage retreats for a really long time. And then I kind of focused for a while with just the military spouse culture because um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of need after 20 years of constant war. So I focused on that for a while and I still do. Um, and, and as of lately, um, I'm doing a couple things where I really love studying the culture from a, a high level perspective and really trying to take my understanding of the different generations, 20 years of war, what that does to a culture, and really trying to advocate on a high level, whether it's with our top officials, the DOD. Um, I was with the, the vice president's working group with Pence. Um, mm -hmm. And one of my more proud moments was, you know, being in D.C. and going to Karen Pence's office and telling them the power of telehealth, the power of using our military spouses um, that are clinicians as advocates and assets for the military community. Like, we already know the culture. We already have the clinical background. Let's use more military spouse clinicians to help the military culture get through this. And telehealth makes that easier for those of us yep. that have four mm -hmm. licenses. So it was a huge moment for me to have, um, when COVID hit, to have Pence's office call me and say, hey, a couple months ago, you were in our office talking about telehealth. So what is that? And let's figure yep. out what we do with it. Like, that was a huge, like, um, wonderful moment to be able to feel like I can make an impact on a higher level. Uh, but lastly, I'll just say, um, more recently, over the last few years, my um, my niche, I would say, has been really been carving out towards our special operations and our special forces, um, like those punishers, right, um, who are really having to do um, a lot of tough stuff, who have a very tough mm -hmm. lifestyle where they're constantly, um, their tempo of deployments are quick and short. I had somebody reach out to me this week that said I had six hours notice. You know, I had, one person had six hours before her her husband left and didn't know where they were going. And I had somebody else that reached out and said, my husband called me, he gave me the code word and he was gone and I don't know where he went, you know? And so if I felt like if I could work with those families, right, if I could help those marriages, um, there's, 
everybody's different. Every marriage is different. But I, over the last few years, have really developed a passion for the, that community because if we can help those marriages, I feel like I can help any of them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they have very unique and special needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I kind of have to be, Kimberly, I have to be a jack of all trades, I think. And it depends on what's happening in the culture. The journey has been... Um, really doing those deep dives and helping those that really need it. Um, but also I, I enjoy the doing the boots on the ground with coaching. I enjoy doing the boots on the ground with counseling at times. Um, but I also really enjoy doing the advocacy side of things because I'm only one person. And so if I can multiply myself or if I can help other people understand the culture where we can make more systemic changes, then, um, then I feel like I can shape things or, or, give my gifts in a way that will shape things in a broader way. Um, Mm -hmm. So whatever I can do, right, is all all we can do. Well, and it sounds like because, one, I think your strengths, I hear them so profoundly, but but also your – your desire to know culture and sit well in in the culture, I think most definitely has built a sense of trust and safety for those that you've worked with. Um, because I think when we pursue to really understand someone, one, standing in similar shoes is always helpful. But even just past that, your desire to know and understand, even culture within culture, right? A special ops is a culture within culture. Um, that helps people feel safe, you know? And I can imagine, uh, you know, your ability to help has been um, strengthened by that for sure, not just being deeply relational, but I think um, truly seeking understanding, and we know how powerful that is. Um, not just empathy, but just that that understanding, and even when you don't know, to seek just to seek that and and be a teacher of whoever is or a learner, and let them be the teacher of whoever's sitting in front of you. Seems to be really powerful in the work that you've done. Yeah, yeah I think <clears throat> I think that um, my version of healing or my picture, I guess, of healing is um, all of us, right? Not just the military. But I I think in my mind, I sometimes see it as like zooming out like Google Earth, right? Sometimes if we could just zoom out um, and understand our circumstances in context of the bigger picture, whether that's Mm -hmm. racial division whether that's what's happening in the culture of whatever bubble you are living in, right? Whether you mm-hmm. are that um, that football mom or the soccer mom or whether you're the um, the CEO of a business or whether, you know, what, regardless of what environment you're in, sometimes whatever we're going through um, or whatever we're even seeing on social media and just, I mean, all of that, sometimes if we just zoom out, like Google Earth and see it in context. It's things like mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard to be frustrated with the other person when you zoom out and realize, "Oh, wait a minute. I'm this they're from an entirely different generation who's grown up with mm. different kinds of um, life experiences than what I grew up in." And so as soon as we zoom out and see the culture and see the dynamics from a, a higher level perspective, I think there's healing. That happens. I mm-hmm. think there's grace, and I think that there's a willingness to say, "Okay, you don't have to be like me, and you don't have to see it the way that I see it." I can, I can understand in context how we are. Um, we all have kind of 
isolated individual opinions, but those opinions also often appear within categories and subgroups. And when you zoom out, you can see that a little bit better and offer a little bit more grace. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I was listening to you share. I have so many questions. We can go a hundred directions. Um, but in this here and now moment, my heart got really heavy when you were talking about some of the advocacy you were doing and like the really unique ways that these military spouses who are professionals can support in this really unique way, what they understand and they know experientially. And I, I, I felt conflicted, I guess, because I was, I had so much joy about like just the uniqueness of that and how important that is. And then I also felt really heavy. Um, and I think what was coming up for me was like ring theory where like the person in the center like you, you pour in and you reach out for support. And I was like, you know, the military experience is so unique in some ways. I know it might be hard to reach out and feel understood. And I feel like that is a, a shortfall of our greater community that we need to understand what military families um, go through so that we can serve better. Um, because I can just imagine it going in a little circle where you're all just serving each other in the bubble and like mm -hmm. that, I just, I'm like, wow, how exhausting. And I'm heavy. Um, because we need to do, we need to do better. We need to do better to serve you guys as you serve us and understand and support. Um, so, and we do have mental health people and clinicians and colleagues that listen to our podcast. So I'm curious, like, tell us if, if we get the privilege to serve. Uh, a military family um, or person that, you know, and we don't come from that background. Um, what, what were, what would be some key things you would want to put in front of our awareness and focus mm -hmm. um, as we serve well, like help us serve you better. Give us, give us yeah. some pointers on that. Oh, it's such an important question. Um, and it's, and it is one of my, um, it's like one of my top three passions, right? You know, um, I should, there should probably not be more than three, right? Um, but that's a, at the top of my list because as a clinician, you know, I was hearing a lot of service members, um, first responders especially right now, um, everybody across the board right now, um, really longing to feel understood. Um, when I first started open, you know, first started my practice as a military spouse, I had a six-month wait list. And it wasn't because of who I was and what I was doing. It was because military families were hearing there, there was a military spouse clinician. And, and I think it was because they desperately wanted to feel understood. And yeah. so now there's so much grace here, right? Um, and I want, I want those listening who don't have a military background to hear me say there really is so much grace that military families don't expect everybody to understand. Mm -hmm. um, there are definitely things that, that we would say to not do, right? There are things like... Um, how many people have you killed? Like, believe it or not, people actually ask that. And that's not something you yeah. should ever ask anybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, really, I think curiosity, like a, a healthy, um, human-leveled curiosity, not a, a, what's the, not by, what's the word? Um, not a voyeuristic curiosity, mm -hmm. but just a healthy curiosity is always welcomed, right? So if you don't understand what's happening, your question just now is, is a beautiful way of going, help, help me understand what you're going through right now, right? Help me understand mm -hmm. who I can be for you. 
um, is such a gift to military families. Like we, I don't think that they go into the civilian culture and expect everybody to understand. Um, but when there's either silence or stares or, um, or, and I'll just say, you know, we do appreciate when people say thank you for your service. Um, but it's a word or it's a phrase that's been so overly used. It sometimes feels like a band-aid. Like I don't know what else to say. So I'm just going to say that. Right. Mm. And so being able to just kind of put it into your own words and it can sound the same, but when it kind of comes from your own words, um, where I'll, I'll give you an example because most service members don't know how to respond to that. And that's why they're like, they kind of look down and nod because they don't know what the answer is. You're welcome. Mm. Like, uh, like, I don't really know how to answer that. And so my husband recently found a new answer, which has been really fascinating to watch people's response because they say, thank you for your service. And he waits for them to look up and he looks them in the eye and he goes, you're worth it. And it, what it does wow. is it kind of like shocks them into this, like, I actually did mean that. And I actually feel a part of this now. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, thank you for doing that thing over there, right? Like, I was part of your thoughts and what you've been asked to do. And it's just bridging that divide. And so um, if you are a civilian, being able to put that in your own words helps to bridge that divide, to just say something like, hey, I just want to say for thank you for what you do every day. Or I know that you've probably had to leave your family sometimes, and I just want you to know I noticed that. Like just being able to, or oh my goodness, mm -hmm. to go, if you, military spouses are hard to identify because we look like everybody else. Yeah. But if you mm -hmm. see a military spouse and you and you see a military spouse or their kids sitting with that service member, thank them all, right? Like mm -hmm. say to that spouse, hey, thank you for giving to you or thank you for what you've had to give up to. She will burst into tears, I promise, because um, that's the number one thing spouses say is I feel invisible. I feel invisible. Mm -hmm. um, I can't tell you the number of times I go and say, you know, do you offer a military discount? And they're like, just for the service members. And it's like, but, but I'm oh. the one that's parenting my kids through COVID by myself. Like, I'm the uh -huh. one that's having to figure out yeah. grocery shopping and during nap time, right? So, um, and I know that sounds silly, but those are like the little kind of, you know, and those hair, let me just say also, um, those little hair triggers when you see military families, especially right now as this podcast is coming out and we're trying to deal with Afghanistan, I'm sure by the time this yep. comes out, Afghanistan's still going to be, um, in, in the storyline somewhere, the narrative probably won't be over. Um, as you've seen and, or as you will see military families have that hair trigger or seem emotional, um, yep. it's coming from a place of exhaustion. It's coming from a place of just all the feelings and they're just very raw. And so, mm -hmm. um, just like you would be graceful towards your child who hasn't had a nap or your spouse who's been overworked and might be burned out. Um, that's, I think the best thing that you can do is, um, is just say thank you. Um, and for those that are professionals out there, I'll just speak really quickly. Um, professionals that are wanting to work with military, um, it's okay that you don't know all the acronyms. It's okay that you don't understand all the branches. Um, us military spouses, I've been in for 15 years and there's still acronyms I don't understand. And there's still things that I still have to ask my husband, pause. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so mm -hmm. there's so much grace in that. Um, but there's a couple things that you can do. One is, um, be balanced in your energy and attention. So don't be overly curious towards that military member. Also be equally curious of the spouse and what their experience is. 
Yes, they're exciting, sometimes sexy jobs that you want to know more about, um, but they're two human beings that probably both mm. need your attention and your support. Um, ask questions where you don't know instead of make assumptions. There's Questions are always welcome. Um, and, and lastly, the, the kind of I said in the beginning, they're the most gritty, real people you'll ever meet. And the sooner you are authentic and real and gritty with them, the quicker you're going to earn their rapport and their respect from you because they move so quickly, like both emotionally and thoughtfully, but also physically we relocate so quickly. We are diving deep very fast, very quick. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so whether you are meeting them in the counseling office and they're wanting to go straight to the topic or whether you're meeting a military spouse on the playground and she's going straight to what are your rules at home do they play video games and what's your discipline and can you be my emergency contact? Like if that's like yeah. the first conversation, please don't be overwhelmed. We just have to move that quick and trust that quick in order to do life. Mm, yeah. Wow. What a unique experience that you guys go through. Uh, that's helpful. I, I have a follow-up question. I told you I could have gone in a million directions. You were talking about advocacy um, for, for the needs. Um, that this part of our community has, um, I, I would like to raise the awareness of our listeners and I'm sitting here going, okay, what, what needs to be advocated for? It's hard. It's hard to be an advocate when you don't know. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not willing. And so I'm, I'm sitting here going, Hey, like when people asked me on the front end of the pandemic, my husband's an educator, like what do the educators need? Um, that was helpful, right? So I, I would like to look at you just as a human in this moment. Okay, what does our military need? From your perspective, like what should we be advocating for? Like what would be helpful? Um, because I, I wouldn't know how to do that as someone who's not participated and not currently in a military family. It would be helpful for me to learn. Yeah. Um, well, definitely mental health is at the top of the list. Um, 20 years of war is significant. Um, yep. Our country has never been at, at war, um, and we can debate, right, all day long of whether it was a war and was it the same as other wars, but our military community has been through 20 years of war. Um, you know, I was talking with a friend who has, they're about to retire, and they've had between 11 and 15 deployments. Wow. So a lot of these families have spent, a lot of these marriages have spent half of their marriage apart. Right. And so um, that means kids have spent half of their upbringing away from that parent when you add all mm-hmm. those days up. And so mental health is definitely at the top of the list. And so advocacy that looks like, you know, doing 22 push ups a day to, um, you know, help, you know, veterans with suicide. That's neat. Right. That's neat. But what we need is um, mental health professionals that if you don't feel competent, if you don't feel like you understand the, mm-hmm. the culture, there are so many um, there are so many CEU tracks, there's so many quick programs that you can do that gets you that cultural competency. Um, I partnered with Baylor to actually write a whole CEU course that's six hours for professionals to get that competency. That's the, it's the one of the only ones that has actual education on what the marriage goes through and what the spouse at home goes through. Um, But the Center for Deployment Psychology also puts out um, some culturally competent workshops that you can do that on the side and feel competent. 
Um, I created the Life Giver directory out of response for this need um, that really I just was so frustrated myself with trying to find um, professionals because most of us were taught as professionals to not put on our webpage specifically if we are a military spouse or if we serve veterans or whatever. And I had a hard time finding them. And so I was like, I'm just going to create my own directory and start finding these clinicians so that these families mm-hmm. can find somebody faster. So whether you're a civilian that has experience or a family background um, or just understanding um, some of the military, or you just have a passion for it and you've taken a CEO course to have some beginning competency, um, yep. you can list yourself on the directory where people can find you quickly. Um, so that's definitely needed and necessary. Um, and that's for active and for veteran. I think also, oh my goodness, please, if you own your own business, um, be willing to hire a military spouse. Um, that is an, an amazing way to be a part of advocacy, whether it's you're spreading the word. If you live in a town that has a military presence or a veteran presence, um, not only are they, they have, do they have amazing work ethic, but we as spouses adopt those same values of the military of responsibility, um, duty, respect, um, loyalty, and they can be some of the best workers that you can imagine, even if they're with you for three years and that's it. It's worth that investment and you'll, you'll make amazing strides in your business by advocating for that cause to be willing to hire somebody, even if they're only Mm going to be there temporarily. Um, so there's, I mean, there's lots of ways that you can advocate. Um, Blue Star Families has a survey that comes out of the top issues of military families every year. They put that report out every year. You can look at that report. It's a beautiful graphic, and you can scan through that and see what the biggest issues are and where your passion is and where you can serve. Um, our military kids need a ton of support. Um, and so if you're an educator, just being able to look for and identify, do you have military kids in your classroom? Do you have kids of veterans who they might be brand new to, um, they just, you know, their parents just retired and they've been a military kid who've never had roots before. And you can do amazing things for that kid that year. So that's where I would encourage you to start is go to that Blue Star Families report. You could find it. I think it's bluestarfamilies.org and download the latest um, report and, and see where your passion is and, and help out there. That's great. And we'll put all of those links in our show notes so people can really quickly access those if you guys are interested in, in getting to any of the CEUs, mm-hmm. the reports, things like that. We'll make sure that's all readily available. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned and brought up kind of what's going on currently, and, and we are recording this uh, in August, and, and you'll probably, listeners are going to hear it in October. Um, when you talk about a 20-year war and then you know, Kimberly and I, as, as trauma experts, um, you think about everything that can just trigger off release and just unleash what the body has been storing and the mind and the feelings. Um, I, I think I, I, I would love to hear, um, more from you of just about, um, how the military community is doing right now. Uh, in light of just recent events and um, how we can do some perspective taking as to what this is like for you guys? Such a big question. And 
as we're recording this, this is the week that um, that Afghanistan fell back to the Taliban, and um, and we're still as as we're recording this today, we're still actively trying to get everybody out, right? Um, so. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time this comes out, there'll probably be some new information, maybe even what we in the military call AARs, after action reviews, where we assess like um, what went well, what didn't go well. Um, And so it's definitely not the end of the narrative of our involvement with Afghanistan. And so it's still a valid question, regardless of when this comes out. But um, it's definitely taken our community by surprise. I think we have always known that this day would come. We would. We always knew, and, and honestly, we were begging for a break. We've been, and I've been advocating for the past probably five years, like time out. Like we really need to slow down. We really need to take care of our families because we're starting to de- deteriorate. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were already tired and begging for a break um, and having no control over that break. You know, so many people when you're burned out or you've been pushed too hard, you have the ability to leave a job, right? You have the ability to do something different or change your life. And, and in the military, you don't really um, get that choice easily. Um, and, and so to be in a situation where you need a break and see that there's no end in sight and you're begging for it, but then in what, in what feels like one day, which it took 11 days, but what it feels like one day 20 years of effort and trauma and your story, right, of convincing yourself every day of a deployment of why your spouse is over there. I mean, I remember our first deployment, that very difficult deployment to Afghanistan, where we lost 11 soldiers in Afghanistan. Um, And that had to be for a reason, right? And when I'm sitting with those new widows, you better believe we're sitting there going, why? Like, what what was this for? really? Like, was it worth it? Um, And what am I going to say to my kids to make it make sense, right? And so almost every day of a deployment um, or every time you get those new orders or you're seeing your friends go through deployments in Afghanistan, you're all the time already conjuring up your reason for why. And so during that first deployment, while my husband was there, you know, my kids were toddlers, and so I decided to try to make sense of it. And so we're going, us three at home, we're going to donate some of our tour money to an orphanage in Afghanistan so that we can feel like we're part of what our dad is doing, right, what daddy is doing mm-hmm. over there, and and create meaning somehow, right, to all of this, that we're, daddy is over there helping people. So how can we be a part of what daddy is doing by helping people? And so over the past 20 years, you have families that have had to come up with their own meaning as to why they're going through what they're going through or being asked to do what they have had to do every day. And then in, when you have a, in 11 days that Taliban taking back over territory that we once held, a couple of things happen. One, I have the reaction of, wow, like I... I don't think I even understood how strong the Taliban was. Like, I think mm-hmm. I had my own picture of what we were fighting, and I didn't realize the capability of our of the Taliban. And my second thought is, I'm so proud of our troops that held that off for 20 years. Like, that's what you did? You were holding that evil off for 20 years. No wonder you're tired, right? No wonder we're tired. 
that something can like systematically overrun a whole country in 11 days. And I don't think I had a full appreciation myself even. And so on one hand, you have spouses from a spouse angle where we were so tired. And a lot of our spouses who are caregivers to veterans who had um, came home with trauma, who have had to help those, help our spouse with that trauma and help their, our spouse create meaning of why their life will forever be different because of that time in Afghanistan. And they were already tired. And so when this happened, it reopened a wound for all of our service members, especially because what they did to them, it feels like it's been erased. Like why even do what I did and have my life drastically altered if we were just going to hand it back? Right. And so that trauma has been reopened. And, mm-hmm. and so you have your spouses who are exhausted from helping their spouse get to a healthier place only to have this reopened. And instead of them getting the break of a war ending, we have now asking military families to now have to dig deep again and have to reprocess everything and have my family get to a healthy place again, right, when we were already tired. And then you've got your veterans, your service members who are counting the costs. Um, I spoke with a friend this morning whose husband um, has a traumatic brain injury that they cannot fix. They're retired and they're out now. They have to sleep in separate rooms. They've had to have a whole um, room built just for him at night where it's completely padded. He has a mattress on the floor because the traumatic brain injury, when he dreams, his body and his mind doesn't know that he's dreaming. So he actually acts out whatever he's dreaming physically. And so in the last week, she has a camera that watches him while he's sleeping so that he's safe, right? And so here's a spouse who's been a caregiver to her husband for years now is watching through a camera as her husband is army crawling across the floor and and throwing grenades because he's reliving what he did in Afghanistan, even though he's now in a safe place, all because it reopened wounds, right? And so I don't share that to be a voyeurist for that family and what they have to struggle through now. I'm sharing that because I want people to understand that when you see all of this emotion coming up for these families, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't mean this in a mean, crude way. It's just that while it's easy, I think, for a civilian to say, um, I can't believe we're leaving all these people behind. And what about the women and the children? And and we have been we have been feeling that for 20 years, right? We have been caring and worrying and stressing about the women and children for 20 years. And now that we're having, we don't have a choice on whether or not we leave, but we desperately need the break. And to have America go, but you're leaving these people heaps like this guilt that we don't even have control over our decision, wow. right? It heaps that guilt on these families of like, I don't even have a choice and it's not me leaving. I'm being told to leave, right? And we're having yeah. to go through all these things too. And so um, I would just say, going back to what you said of what, what people can do is just being able to understand and say thank you and, and that we're all doing the best that we can. And we, and we can all, all of us, all of us have multiple feelings going on at the same time. We can both yeah. be glad to end a war and feel relief from that. And we can also have great empathy and great sadness for a country that we weren't able to help as much as we want to. And we can also set healthy boundaries with a country that needs to be able to care for itself 
Um, and then that can be a reminder that even in our own homes, in our own families, in our own relationships back at home, sometimes we have to set healthy boundaries with relationships that aren't aren't healthy, right? And there we have to make tough calls sometimes to say, I can't, I can't heal the other person. I'm not in charge of controlling the other person. Sometimes all I can do is the best that I can do for myself and make sure that I'm in a healthy place. And so we can apply those same um those same rules, those same dynamics as we watch this country too, that we can have multiple feelings going on at once. And at the end of the day, I guess the last thing I'll say, because every question you've asked me, I've gone on forever. Um, At the end of the day, when you have a culture who is asked to wrestle with and face the worst of what humanity can do on a daily basis, like that's their job to face it, right? The only healing available to, I think, that kind of soul injury is when that person comes face-to-face with human beings who are willing to be the best of what humanity can be. It's the only way to heal it, right? Whether you're a helping professional or whether you're at Starbucks serving them a latte, right? Being able to be the best of humanity to say, I see you and you see me. And, and we're in this together, and I appreciate you, and, um, and I just see you heals those soul wounds wherever they are. Yep. I'm glad you talked about holding the tension between the things that can coexist that feel like they shouldn't. Um, we're big proponents of that, and um, I deeply appreciate you giving us uh, – a very tiny glimpse into y'all's world uh, to help us be able to do that better. I don't, I don't think generally most humans do that very well. I mean, I think that good counselors do that really well because part of our training. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I really do appreciate you modeling that part of loving others is to sit in the tension of these polarities as we would call them. Um, and, and to have the staying power to be in that with each other rather than to some of the statements that you were making, because those things feel so in contradiction with each other, creating a false frame narrative where I have to choose between, and that means I am rejecting something that I also value because I'm having to do this hard thing or this thing needs to happen. And so, you know, that that has been something we've discussed on the podcast and been a little bit of a theme is let's let's be better at holding the tension between two things that feel like they should not be in the same space but absolutely can coexist and not forcing each other into some type of i have to i have to choose between two good things or i have to choose between two negative things and that must mean something about me or you and it is so unhelpful to our human experience and it does get in the way of healing so thank you so much for casting a vision of that i think that is very very helpful it's it's tough right um it's and this is a tough conversation i appreciate you asking me about it and like i said i can tend to get real real quick and so i don't i don't mean it in a disrespectful way um, I think it's important to, you know, all of, all of humanity is about understanding each other's world just a little bit better, right? Mm-hmm. Without assuming the other person has to have lived it or understand it fully, right? That's, that's what heals racial division. It's what heals the military-civilian divide. 
is just that curiosity and that willingness to hear it. Um, and so there's, there's a great opportunity coming for us to heal that divide. You know, there's a lot of stuff circulating of, is this our next Vietnam and, and all that. And, and I really think that's up to us. That's up to us as a, as a community. It's up to us as a country um, to recognize that question and see each other and, um, and keep our politics separate from the humans, right? Keep our opinions of administration separate from the humans, right? Um, and and that it, maybe we all have to, especially given what we've been through in the last year of politics and social media and, and everything that's come up from that, um, it's a constant reminder that we are our best when we're across the table from someone or when we're face-to-face -face with someone, right? When we're not sitting behind a screen with digital courage, right? We... Um, become our best, most filtered, more, more, most adult self, I think, when we are face to face with each other. And so I just would encourage more of that, you know, um, yeah. pending COVID, right? Ugh. But um, more of these right. just face to face yes. conversations. <laughs> uh, yes. um, yeah. So thank you for the opportunity to, to um, address it. Um, there's some good things coming. There's some good healing coming. I believe it. Corey, thank you so much for your depth today, I think, um, and just speaking to, I think, the complexities and nuances of, I think, a lot of human experiences, but specifically in the world of military in light of this current dynamic that's happening in in our world. Um, I, I really think it's a gift. I know it has been for me, and so thank you for that. I'm taking a lot away from our conversation. Um, we end the podcast in the same way for all folks, so we have a couple of parting questions. Um, what would you like our audience to take away from our conversation today? What would you like to leave them with? Great question. I think, um, hopefully, um, people's minds have just been open to maybe a new world. If you've not um, stepped into the military world before, maybe you had a grandparent that served, you know, and you always wonder what their experience was like because they didn't want to talk about it, right? So I hope that our minds have just expanded just a little bit um, or that maybe you were challenged to um, thinking about how you could maybe reach out to somebody that is in your neighborhood or somebody that's in your church or somebody that's in your circle that, um, that maybe you understand them just a little bit more today. Um, I just want to throw a quick plug in there. I did write a book called Sacred Spaces. You mentioned that in the beginning. And I specifically wrote that book as a way of building those bridges and helping people understand. And so I really do give you the inside perspective of what it's like in a military marriage. And I wrote it for parents. I wrote it for civilians um, to give you that inside perspective that maybe a grandparent wasn't willing or able to share and so um, if you're still curious about that, I would encourage you to take a look at that. Um, it will give you probably what you need. And I think you're going to feel a lot more connected and a lot more like you understand it than you think that you will. So I hope it just expands our minds just a little bit more so we can serve each other better. And our second question, what was your takeaway? I am just grateful. I am honestly grateful that you guys are so receptive. It's been, um, I could turn this around and ask you guys a million questions of, of what your experiences are. 
But I have to say, um, being a military spouse today, going through what we're going through this week, to have you ask questions and to have you care about what we're going through, um, to want to spread that message, um, it really is healing. I just have to say that. It really is healing to my heart as a helping professional who is spending a majority of my time, especially this week, helping so many other people. We have to remember that the helpers also need help sometimes. The helpers also need to be invested in and cared for. And I mean, sometimes we forget how easy that is. And it's just a matter of saying, how are you doing? And tell me what's going on in your world, right? Like it's that small. And so I think for me, my takeaway is just thank you for caring and investing and being willing to have this conversation today. It was super healing for me to be able to talk about it and, um, and share with you where we're at, where I'm at. Um, I'm just very grateful for what you, you guys do every day and the excellence through which you do it. Thanks so much, Corey. Thank you, Corey. Your time is so valuable to us, really. Oh, that was so good. Corey is just such a delight um, mm-hmm. to talk with about really anything. But um, yeah. I have such gratitude for her depth. You know, you and I go deep and brilliant all the time. She's brilliant. Yeah, I In know. So, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant depth. Um, I feel like I learned a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So curious what your takeaways are from our time together with Corey. Yeah, I I definitely learned a lot and could continue to learn so much from her. But I think the thing that struck me the most, like kind of a, I don't know, just like a heart moment was as she was telling the story of current events, um, I just felt a deep, uh, I don't know, reminder for compassion and empathy for mm-hmm. people who are bearing a different part of the story. I think, you know, military experiences um, can feel so political at times. Um, they are, they are, they are political decisions. They absolutely are in a lot of ways, but it was just a very good reminder of the human experience for um, so many of our families that serve. And so mm-hmm. I just had this really deep and tender moment. And I think that's the thing that stands out for me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. What about you? What'd you take away? I think, um, gosh, I, I do. I feel like I got a better understanding and perspective on um, the system of military families and marriages and the mm-hmm. trauma that can show up there and just the challenges and just even the uniqueness is there. And so I think I love how she helped us zoom out and take perspective and um, hold sight of the human in front of us in those who are in the military Um and to give us a, a glimpse. And um, I got really tickled about our Marvel conversation. And even just so poetically she used that, which is one fun, but just oh, no. it was, there was even depth in that fun. So I just, 
it was delightful and I'm walking away just really with a new perspective and that's that's a gift absolutely so loved having her mm-hmm. thank you for joining us Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo and edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.